Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Nutrafol. Nutrafol is formulated with potent botanicals to help you grow strong hair, and it's physician formulated to be 100% drug-free. They use natural, clinically effective botanicals for better hair growth through whole body health. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using promo code a thing or two to get 20% off. This is their best offer available anywhere, plus free shipping on every order. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com, promo code a thing or two. Their best offer anywhere, 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com promo code a thing or two for hair as strong as you are. This episode is also brought to you by Sunbasket. Sunbasket delivers organic pre-measured ingredients and quick, healthy recipes right to your door. Right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash a thing or two and enter the promo code a thing or two at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash a thing or two and enter the promo code a thing or two at checkout for $35 off your order sunbasket.com slash a thing or two and enter the promo code a thing or two. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. You might know us as the co-founders of Of A Kind, the co-authors of Work Wife, or just two women who feel so strongly about their relationship that they own the domain, claireanderica.com. Related, head there to sign up for a newsletter and to find episode notes. And leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463. You know this, we love them. Oh my gosh, we love them so much. Dreamy, dreamy, dream. Truly. Um, one of the things we've been wanting to talk about in like various capacities since the early days of core, um, <laughs> which yeah. I also told you I'm upset nobody is referring to as World Core One because you know there's going to be a World Core Two. I know, I know. I feel Maybe like we need to I be think, labeling it, but I think when World War One was happening, they didn't call it World War One. They know? called it the Great War. Yeah. yeah. So this is the this Great is the Great War, war. <laughs> and then there will be World Core Two, and right. then we will posthumously <laughs> refer to this as World Core One. Great, great, great. <laughs> now that we've covered that, um, <laughs> we have been like talking between ourselves about medical care in during these times, this, during these, these times. times, and non-coronavirus medical care, and in sometimes like in some ways not always totally urgent medical care, or like figuring out what actually is urgent. 
I think that's been the thing of deciding, you know, it's, it's the same way that I think we're navigating so many things right now of like, how do I deal with this thing? How do I decide what's pressing? How do I decide what's important when all the rules seem to have shifted? Yeah. Um, and trying to figure out, okay, you know, if I'm having a medical issue that doesn't feel super pressing, but like is making me anxious or making me nervous or I don't want to become a bigger thing. Do I deal with it now? And how do I decide? Because obviously going to a doctor feels scary when there's, you know, when one, the medical system is overwhelmed and you want to make sure the people who need urgent care can get urgent care. Um, And then also when leaving your house and going to any space where it's lots of people is daunting as fuck. Yep. Yeah. I mean, one of the first ways that this came up for me was that I got a really like kind of sweet, heartfelt email from this company that I love called Capsule um, that I've been using since they launched their pharmacy delivery, which... It's a wonderful, wonderful service if you're in New York. Are they in other cities? I don't know, actually. I hope so. But there are similar services that exist in other cities. And also there are like non-venture-backed pharmacies that will just... Our mom and pop pharmacies that (laughs) will deliver to you. Of course. Capsule wrote this email and I think it was from their CEO and it was basically just like, hey a lot of people don't realize that this is an option and they're stressed out about going to the pharmacy or they're not going and getting their meds. And like, if you could do us a favor and just spread the word to your friends and family that we exist as an option and we're not more expensive than going to the regular pharmacy. Like we just want people to know about this service right now because it's so important. And I was like, yeah, I hope people do know that this is a way to get your meds. Another thing that launched in the midst of all of this that I'm really impressed by but haven't used is called 30 Madison Urgent Care. It's telemedicine, urgent care, and it's sort of sliding scale pay. They don't want people to to be deterred by issues of whether or not you can pay and insurance and all of that. And they can write you prescriptions for a lot of things. Like like if you have pink eye, if you're having stomach issues, like common things that you might otherwise go to urgent care, even the ER for that, you know, they don't want you going to the ER for and they can do online, which I was thrilled to see. I mean, the rise of telemedicine in general, I really hope this is its moment because you and I had had such good experiences with a company that is no longer with us, Sherpa, mm-hmm. um, that we really relied on for years. Um, when you have things like UT, a UTI yep. and you know what the symptoms are and you've had one before, they would send you a survey. You'd answer like 35 questions yep. about <laughs> yep. this UTI. Yep. And if of course that you know is very clear that that was what it was, they'd write you a prescription and you were done and you were treating it before you could even you know get into a doctor. Right, not having to waste your time, not having to waste money. It was a wonderful service. And by the way, this is also a women's issue because so many products for women's health issues are still prescription only. That like I guarantee that if they were men's, you would be able to get them over the counter, just like so many men's yep, products. Yep, 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 yep. And so at least until that is the case, being able to access telemedicine and not having to use our time and money to schedule a doctor's appointment three months out, get, you know, lose time in the middle of the workday to deal with it, all of that stuff is huge. It's a huge advantage. Not, you know, that aside from the fact that we're in the middle of a a worldwide pandemic. Of course, of course, of course. Um, So one of the, the first experience you and I had with Mm -hmm. uh, having to see a doctor during uh, lockdown was that we both had to get mammograms that happened through a series of really bizarre coincidences to happen on the be scheduled on the same day. It was super um, on brand for us that we both had lumps and both had mammograms on the same day. Like let's just go through life together. 
It was truly <laughs> odd. We will spend some more time on a future episode talking about this in more detail. Spoiler, um, we were both fine. We're, we're both fine. Both fine, yeah. But like... I was really nervous about going, just like super anxious about going. It was maybe week two of lockdown in in New York. And, you know, you and I hadn't been in the city for two weeks and it was, we both had appointments in Manhattan and it just felt like a very daunting thing to be like, am I going to walk into a doctor's office right now? And what is the vibe of this doctor's office? And, you know, what kind of patients are they seeing at this point? And are there good rules in place? Because there just weren't a lot of precautions or measures in place at that point yet. Everything still felt very new. At the same time, I definitely was losing sleep at night over what if this is something and, you know, and it was also hurting me mm-hmm. um, and just wanted, you know, to get it checked out as soon as possible. And, you know, so just sort of like weighing the like, do I push this thing off? Like that feels right. crazy. Do I right. go? That feels crazy. And ultimately decided to go and feel really good about doing it. Like I can't imagine if I still hadn't gotten this mammogram, well, how I- anxious or stressed I would be. I think in some ways it was, I don't want to call it a blessing, but it was nice that it was a lump in the breast because you and I both know that breast cancer is such a serious matter so yes. often. And, and we so- both had it in our families. And, yeah. You know, no, yeah. And so there wasn't a question of like, should I wait? You know, we're yeah, familiar yeah, 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 enough yeah. with it that A, to know how dangerous it is and B, to know that it makes a real difference at what stage. If you catch it early. Yeah. Yeah. And no, so, you're right. I mean, at no point did I actually consider not going. There was just that like tickle in my brain that was like, is this insane? It, yeah. Is this insane? Yeah. Or like, is there a scenario where a person could or should wait? Like how, how weird or bad is it to go to a doctor right now? Well, and there was no guidance and there continues to be very little guidance around it. And so you're really just looking to your doctor for that, which is what I did with Cam when I was looking at this magnet on our refrigerator that lists off when babies are supposed to have doctor's appointments and realized he was supposed to have like a 15-month appointment and we'd never taken him. At that point, he was 16 months. And it was right smack dab in the middle of everything fairly early on. And I called our doctor and I said, should I even bring him in at this point? Is that crazy? And he was unequivocal. Yes, you need to bring him in for the checkup. Um, And he said two things. One, there are no sick children coming into our office. All sick child visits are happening over telemedicine. And he said, and two, the 15-month visit is where Cam's going to get some vaccines and booster shots. And there's a real problem now where unvaccinated rates of children are going through the roof because parents are scared to come to the doctor's office and they're putting these things (gasps) off and that's posing a whole other risk. And by the way, like, and then that risk is, can you imagine that risk colliding at the same time as our healthcare systems are overburdened with coronavirus? And it was interesting because I think it just so happened on the same day that I had called about this. The New York Times published an article about this, that vaccine rates are dropping dangerously. And it's just really terrifying to look at the numbers. And so And a lot of these doctor's offices have also just had to close because they haven't had enough business. So they're doing things like drive up service and like bringing um, like mobile offices, basically, you know, like in trucks or vans where you can put your kid in and get uh, vaccines. So you're not actually having to go into a building and stuff like that. But we went and got the checkup for Cam and I felt super safe. There were so few people in there. It was as few people as I've ever seen in a doctor's office. All of the toys were put away so that a kids can't, you know, the kids couldn't be playing with the toys the way they normally do. The water cooler was all taped up. It was like, you're in, you're out, we're done. And he was touched by two people, the nurse and the doctor, and that was it. 
Thank you so much to Nutrafol for sponsoring today's episode. Um, so Claire, I was telling you the other day that I've been feeling pretty good about my hair mm-hmm. um, in quarantine because I've quit using styling tools and any sort of like weird products that definitely are not contributing to gr- the growth of my hair and like it's long-term, it's achieving its long-term potential. You're um, getting mermaid hair. As much as I can get mermaid hair uh, for my like bob slash shoulder length hair. But yes, that's the vibe I'm going for. And I'm excited to layer on Nutrafol as another way to like really soup up this game, like supercharge it while I'm at home feeling like not my best, not my, you know, like most presentable. Um, yep. This feels like a way to go. Nutrafol is formulated with potent botanicals to help you grow strong hair and it's physician formulated to be 100% drug-free. They use natural, clinically effective botanicals for better hair growth through whole body health. On top of thicker, stronger hair without lasers or chemicals, Nutrafol's ingredients have all sorts of benefits, better sleep, stress, skin, nails. Visit Nutrafol.com and take their hair wellness quiz for customized product recommendations that put the power to grow thicker, stronger hair back into your hands. When you subscribe, you'll receive monthly deliveries so you never miss a dose. Shipping is free and you can pause or cancel anytime. 77% of women saw improvements in just 90 days with Nutrafol. In a time when self-care is more important than ever, every day is an opportunity to skip damaging styling tools and chemicals and focus more on better hair growth from within. Even if you aren't experiencing thinning hair, Nutrafol can help you grow thicker, stronger hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using promo code a thing or two to get 20% off. This is their best offer available anywhere. Plus, free shipping on every order. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com, promo code a thing or two. Their best offer anywhere. 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code a thing or two for hair as strong as you are. Hi guys, my name is Sarah Nicole and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays, subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and the birds with Paya on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. I just, it, it feels like such a good opportunity to really lean into the defer to a professional, um, <laughs> like ask an expert <laughs> situation yep. that I think we obviously know to feel strongly about. And I think in the past, you know, if you and I had a medical concern, we had insurance, we, you know, had good coverage and you would just go mm-hmm. um, and you would just like get it taken care of. And now we're in a position that I think a lot of other people are in because of different reasons that we're questioning whether it's the right time to go to a doctor. Yeah. It's funny. We were taught, we had a call with someone a couple of weeks ago who had a college age son who uh, wanted to go on a socially distanced hike. And this person was like, you need to call your doc, like our primary care physician, the pediatrician or whoever this per- this this kid sees and like get the advice of this doctor and ask, can I do this? And I just like loved that too as a means of encouraging people that age to engage with medical professionals in this way and be like, if you want to do this thing, you go call, you go see, you it like you get the advice, and then well, you and then I won't even bother with like what you're doing because I'm going to defer to that professional as well. 
And it's a great example to set in this time where like public and political discourse is quickly eroding that what used to be a generally universally held truth that of course you would defer to the professionals. Of course you were to refer to the medical community, the science community, et cetera. And it is, it's great to instill that in a teenager. Um, And I think also just because of the way our healthcare system has become so overcomplicated. We forget that that's what these people are there for, that you should be able to call your doctor. It shouldn't be something where you call a receptionist and wait however many weeks to be able to talk to your doctor. You can- Or you just book it on ZocDoc and that's the only way you could possibly. <laughs> right, exactly. They're, yeah. they're there to answer questions in between appointments too. Um, and you should exercise that right. We talked about your baby. We have to talk about mine, who obviously, Please. of course, had to go to the doctor <laughs> because she has to go to the vet for some like odd, odd, like rare, <laughs> rare thing every like six months. Um, they like get excited because she's like got something different than the other bunnies have, where you're like, oh God. <laughs> A thrilling day for the veterinarian. <laughs> Truly. So Ash was having an issue with her little cheek. Mm-hmm. And so I emailed her vet and sent a description and like, you know, sort of gave a timeline and sent pictures and was like, should I bring her in? And her vet uh, was like, yes, you should. And this vet had uh, like has on a wonderful website that on the homepage of it gave a full rundown of what the process was if you're coming right now, which is you drive up, you call them from the parking lot, someone comes out and gets your pet. They take your pet inside when the vet is with your pet, the vet calls you because P.S. Ash doesn't need me to be in there with her. Like I'm not really doing anything, (laughs) turns out. They talk you through everything and then the receptionist calls you back. You do payment, you know, whatever over the phone. They talk about any next steps and then they bring your pet back to the car. And it was just like so wonderful and thoughtful and like right there. They also have videos for sort of more basic things that you can do at home, like temperature taking and stuff that people might be a little daunted by on their homepage. And I just like loved the thought and care that they put into it that just made me feel so taken care of Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and so comforted. And I left, I think both the mammogram experience and the vet experience, like having more faith in the system, you know, Um, or being less daunted by having to make a future appointment than if I hadn't gone at all. I do think going, just sort of breaking the seal once. I was very nervous about our mammogram appointments because it was so early on and I was just in a general mental state and overall. But for Cam's pediatrician appointment, I had been so anxious. And once I did it, I realized, okay, this is part of life that we still have to participate in during quarantine. And if I need to do this again, I will. And I did need to do it again because I had a mole recently that started misbehaving. So I made, I called the dermatologist and they were like, well, we're doing telemedicine, but honestly, it sounds like a mole that probably needs to be biopsied. So you should just come in. We are doing all treatments that have to happen at the same time as the appointment because there's so few people coming in. So it's not like you're going to have to come in and then come back to do the treatment. The biopsy or whatever. Exactly. And so I went in. The second I opened the door and the receptionist saw me approaching, she was holding out a pump bottle of hand sanitizer. And then as soon as I had sanitized my hands, she held up uh, one of those forehead scan thermometers to my forehead and took my temperature. And it was like, until both of those things had happened, she was not talking to me, basically. Um, And I saw her repeat that with everybody else who came in. And it it was really comforting. And she every single time I had had to approach the desk for whatever reason, I had to sanitize my hands all over again. And I was like, "Yes, I'm loving this, <laughs> like, loving keep it. it up." And FYI, it was good. I went. It turns out the the mole is problematic, and I have to get it completely removed. And 
I'm really glad that I went. And I, I hope that that is a lesson to other people. If there's something going on, go deal with it. I mean, I think it has just been an re- important reminder to me about like, there are still essential things to do beyond going to the grocery store. Um, <laughs> It's a really nice way to put it. it you know? <laughs> yes. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that, like you said, that's been hard to remember. I think especially for the first, I don't know, month of this, it felt like some combination of, I don't want to call it a snow day, but that snow day sense that like you wouldn't leave the house for any reason. Um, like a combination of a snow day and a sick day and a god awful everything and we're just we're not doing anything that we would normally do in real life including like drinking in moderation or exercising or like any of this right, stuff right 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 and i do feel but then like, like 2 months later you realize yeah. that there are still things that are happening around you that are actually that can't be put on pause for 2 whole months right um, and just that we're also going to be here for a while so yeah. putting something off until we're you know things feel normal again may mean putting something off for like a year yep And you don't want to do that when it comes to your health. Nope, 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 nope. Thank you so much to Sunbasket for sponsoring today's episode. Um, We were talking the other day, uh, we had a phone call with someone who was saying that like meal delivery kits feel like the answer right now because we're all just so bored of coming up with what to cook. It's so time consuming. It It's like, A, what do you want to eat? And then actually cooking the thing and shopping for all the ingredients. Meal planning is no joke. Um, one of our group texts is all is like all up in arms about how to meal plan or how to, you know, do the pantry spreadsheet or whatever is happening. Um, and one of the great things about Sunbasket is they deliver organic pre-measured ingredients and quick healthy recipes right to your door. And I was thrilled to discover that all of the packaging is either recyclable or compostable, which feels like it gets me over the hurdle that a lot of these meal kits mm-hmm. um, provide. Absolutely. And all of the ingredients are healthy and organic and you can tailor them to your lifestyle whether you're paleo, lean and clean, gluten-free, vegetarian, Mediterranean. And if you don't feel like choosing your own meals, you can pick a plan and they'll do the choosing for you, which is really where all of this decision fatigue comes in. They also give back to their communities through Feeding America, local food banks, and employee programs. Obviously, everything about getting groceries feels complicated right now, but Sunbasket means you don't have to make a trip to the grocery store and their facilities have the highest levels of food and employee safety. They are reinforcing strict adherence to their existing standard operating procedures and increasing sanitization frequency in their distribution centers in order to protect their workers and you and your family. Right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash a thing or two and enter promo code a thing or two at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash a thing or two and enter promo code a thing or two at checkout for $35 off your order sunbasket.com slash a thing or two and enter promo code a thing or two. Can we interrupt this regularly scheduled programming for a breaking news report? Yeah. You have some serious breaking news. I have huge news. Yeah. I bought the eight pound jug of Luxardo cherries. I'm so happy for you. Great. Thank you. I feel Thank like so I should much. be sending, I don't know, like a new baby gift to your home. <laughs> you know, you could send, you could send another eight pound jug of Luxardo cherries <laughs> because you're going to need matching jars. Well, yeah. It's a congratulations gift for this, <laughs> for this one. Um, I, I was thrilled by the opportunity to order it. I ordered it from an Italian grocer in New Jersey 
also along with my favorite gluten-free pasta from Garofalo. So that felt like, oh, really like getting it done, really taking care of business here. And it came the day we have a weekly Zoom cocktail hour um, with some friends. And so I got to do an unboxing. (laughs) It's really Um, exciting. I just, I'm thrilled. I am thrilled. Somebody on Instagram recently asked what you do with your Luxardo cherries other than put them in a Manhattan. Yeah. I look for other cocktails to put them in is the first answer. A Tom Collins is a great is a great solution. I didn't realize that a Tom Collins uses a cherry. Um, it, it's an option. It yeah. is an option. Yeah. I and, Googled because I was like, I had no idea. And then I was like, I saw it and I was like, yeah, that seems delightful. It is delightful, Claire. It is. It is 100% delightful. There's no reason not to do it is how I feel about it. And then, of course, the most classic non-cocktail version is as the best ice cream topping ever, um, specifically with HDVB. So good. Classic. There has been some conversation now that we're like rich in Luxardos (laughs) with like what the maximum amount of Luxardos to use at one time is. Yep. That's understandable especially when it comes to ice cream. Because like in a cocktail, Thomas has one cherry because he's a... That's crazy. Thank you. Thank you. I was going to say because he's a normal person, but no. No. I am given two because of this this privileged relationship I have with these cherries. Um, (laughs) With ice cream, the answer to date has been six. Yes, that's not right. That's not reasonable. Any more than that feels just crazy. Okay. Do you... My mouth is watering while thinking about this. Do you treat them as a true topping or do you sort of mix them into the ice cream at all? Hmm. Um, I treat them as a true topping, I guess, but I also add a good deal of the syrup. Yes, of course. And then the syrup and the ice cream melt and then meld into a delicious cherry vanilla milkshake swirl situation. It sounds so Is that good. what you're having tonight? Are you having it tonight? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if there's any HDVB in our freezer. I had to cut myself off. I was eating a lot of ice cream in early quar. Um, listen, stay tuned for next week's episode of Breaking News when we talk about washing vegetables. Oh my gosh. We give you an update. <laughs> Huge. So something that we both have consumed over the last week that is not a cherry or an ice cream is a book. One I'm really excited to discuss thrilled about it. Uncanny Valley. I'm surprised it took us this long to read it because we were both so psyched about it when we, when we heard it was coming out and yeah, everything about it. It's by Anna Wiener and it was excerpted in the New Yorker probably a year ago, I guess a year and a half. Maybe it was just over the summer. I can't, I remember it was warm out. (laughs) Yeah, Um, no, it's really hard to get a sense of a sense of time. Uh, understandably. It is basically a memoir of this woman's time working in Silicon Valley. She's I think around our age, she's in her third, early, early to mid thirties, is my guess. And she grew yeah, up. I think with, she's probably like five years younger than us. So you, you, you're saying I were giving, I'm giving myself too much credit. Yeah, Fine. I'm saying she's like, yeah, she's she's <laughs> she's in our age demo. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, she grew up in New York. She worked in publishing when she graduated from college and then moves to Silicon Valley to work in the tech world. And it is, it is an indictment of Silicon Valley, but it's, it's not a harsh indictment. It's like, it is. No, she speaks to the appeal of it. She understands like what would draw someone to this world because she herself was drawn to it. 
You know what it is? It's damning, but it's not harsh. It's really yeah, damning. Yeah, uh, Yes. So damning. So and, damning. But part of what I find so compelling about it is that she's really compassionate towards the people in it. And not only that, but she places herself amongst the people in it who are wooed by its various appeals. And I think that that makes it so much more effective than a lot of the takedowns that you read of Silicon Valley because it allows you to relate to who these people are and how they got to the place that they're in. And it reminds me of, we already talked about vaccinations on this podcast one, so everybody (laughs) knows where I stand on the issue. But there was a New York Magazine article about anti-vaxxers in Brooklyn. And I didn't read it because I knew it was going to make me too upset. But I remember you telling me that it sort of helped you understand how those people got there. If not, if if you couldn't relate to them, you could at least follow the logic. And I follow the thread of the idea that took them to the place. And I think that that is really helpful because I, for everybody, because the truth is, I think very few people are evil or bad actors on purpose, right? It's like they're not, people don't feel like they're doing the wrong, and I'm not just talking about anti-vaxxers now, I'm talking about these people in Silicon Valley who are also- No, like, except for maybe Elon Musk, but yeah, keep going. exactly. And I, (laughs) right, like, (laughs) it is really helpful to understand the how and the why and the steps that it took for people to get to this place where they're saying and doing things that feel totally insane and reprehensible, and it's much easier to do that when it's being explained to you by someone who was like along for the ride and is like, and I even got swept up in it at some points. The style is like, it's like almost has a certain gonzo journalism um, approach as like loaded as that term is. Although she obviously didn't, she didn't come at this starting as a journalist and she didn't come at this as a reporter, but she was embedded in that yes. way or like immersed in that way. And so can understand the complexities and um, the fact that, you know, these characters have so much gray area and that there isn't like a right or wrong or good or bad. It's just like this world that comes together in the way that it comes together. Well, and it really speaks to the fact that, like you said, these people aren't good or bad. It's a structural issue. Yes. It's not, it's these people who are, who like everybody else are not immune to these huge structural forces at play that push us all in the directions that they do. And I think that that's part of what's so effective about it, because I do think, especially in the sort of political climate that we're living in, it's so easy to say these people are totally insane and they're totally wrong, no matter what the issue is that you're on the opposite side of. And it is so helpful to remember that there are forces at play that get people to really like believe in the logic that they're espousing. Well, like it's the force that pushes you down the top of the roller coaster, right? That like, okay, it gets the ride going and there we are. Yeah. When you were talking about the sort of um, gonzo journalism nature of it. And there's also this really sort of allegorical tone to it. Yeah. It feels like you're reading a fable and it, a dark fable. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that a big part of that is the fact that she doesn't, she avoids using proper nouns in a lot of cases. So she doesn't- In almost all cases, I mean, yeah. except for people, you know, like the names of the people that are working with her, but just first names or, you know, yeah. um, who are not famous people. Yeah, it's really compelling. And there are a lot of things that are really obvious. Like she talks about the social network that everybody hated and the search engine giant. You know she's talking about Facebook and Google, but she uses that device throughout to talk about 
all sorts of notable people in the tech world, all sorts of notable companies and less notable ones. So you also find yourself stopping and trying to think like, wait, which one is that? And then eventually you discover that several uh, people have published glossaries online that are basically a guide to all of these things. I love it. I love it. And you fall down a rabbit hole. If you want to check your answers, there's a way to check your answers. answers. (laughs) And it also was like a good test of how clued in or not I am and have been to various of these things because I think at various times throughout the last 10 years, which is I think that sort of time period when this came into our awareness, I have been either more or less um, engaged with the news around it. I mean, I think that was interesting reading this because we, um, our relationship to Silicon Valley is that we at some point touched the like very periphery of it. Um, like we had meetings on Sand Hill Road. We met with San Francisco VCs. We have traveled to Palo Alto. Um, <laughs> but that is like, it's really just the like frayed edge of it that we've we've encountered. Well, there's um, that. So there's like the proximity, but not this immersion. And in the early days of Of A Kind, Of A Kind got categorized by New York tech media as a startup. Yeah. And, and it was, but it also meant that it was grouped with a lot of venture-backed tech startups. And that meant that we went to a lot of events or... Conferences, conferences panels, or whatever. Blah. Exactly. With a lot of people who are very engaged in this world. And it's fascinating to see the ways that some of that culture has bled into New York, and yet a lot of it hasn't. And reading the descriptions of the parties and the hobbies of the people who work in this industry in San Francisco really felt so foreign to me. Yes. Comfortingly foreign. I (laughs) (laughs) And also just such a reminder of how big our country is and that as much as it feels like everybody's doing the same thing because of the internet, you can go to a different city and still experience a truly different culture. I found that the that not naming the brand the like brand names for lack of a better word gave it the book almost a dystopian quality mm-hmm. um because when you were reading it the most you know sort of straightforward example of like the social media network everyone hated and you immediately know what that is but the other descriptions by removing the brand you removed the associations that you have with them and obviously these are all, you know, these descriptions are through her own lens and through her own experience. So they're, um, they're not objective by any stretch of the imagination, but it made you think about how do I think about all birds when it doesn't say all birds, but it just says the, you know, wool shoe company, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I liked that disassociation. It was interesting. And she's so effective at doing it that she is an insanely good writer. And her descriptions of these companies and these people are so pared down, but so knowing and spot on. And I'm just excited for her to write more. One of the sections that I really loved that isn't really about startups, um, but it just felt like a very good example of her descriptions in general is of San Francisco restaurants um, and of one that she went to with a new founder friend. The restaurants are full of natural fibers and acacia accents, unobtrusive florals, and bar body waitresses in linen shifts, couples in their 30s and 40s, the women wearing sturdy ankle boots and understated engagement rings, the men dressed typically to traverse a glacier. There was all so good. (laughs) There was always at least one table of startup employees out for a team building dinner tucked somewhere they would not overly influence the ambiance. So good. 
It just lands. It, it just lands. Just and it's lands. And it's so true of so many people's experience. Yes. Um, I think the other thing that was so satisfying to read and rang especially true of um, my experience was the sexism. And there's the sexism that's discriminatory towards women and that feels very obvious and she gets it really right. But it's also the sexism of how men are infantilized and propped up and forgiven um, and in all of these ways that women just are not. And she is often in a lot of the scenarios in this book, one one of one or one of only a few women in a room. And so she gets... And she's also non-technical, which is a whole other, you know, which means she doesn't code um, and she isn't a developer. Right. And so she gets really close with a lot of the men in this orbit and I think gets a a really interesting read on like what are the ways that they are treated and the um, values that they uphold that end up creating these workplaces that look like they do. So another passage that I really like talked about the ways I think that you what you said about the infantilizing of these men was really interesting. Like, it's, yes, very spot on, but also the way that they were able to kind of just like rebrand things mm. and own them. And um, she talks, there's a chapter that starts out talking about biohacking. Mm-hmm. And this just really got me. It seemed more likely that biohacking was just another mode of self-help like business blogging. Tech culture provided endless outlets for men to pursue activities coded as female, including apparently body manipulation. I could see how tracking personal metrics offered a sense of progress and momentum, measurable self-betterment. Leaderboards and fitness apps encouraged community through competition. Quantification was a vector of control. So there are so many passages like this that are just break open something that you thought you had thought about, that you thought you were aware of and had an opinion on. And she has such an insightful eye towards these things. I think what you said about gonzo journalism is so right. And what's so fascinating to me is that whether or not she intended to write about this experience as she was going through it, and you don't get the sense that she already had a plan to, she was observing the world around her in such an intensely critical and just observant way. It's so impressive. It's very much like read if you like Gia Tolentino or Molly Mm -hmm. Young. It's like more droll than Mm -hmm. either of them um, in a way that I think especially works for this particular content. The other thing that is so central to this book, and again, I think just takes an angle towards it that is unique is the way she talks about economic inequality and the way that Silicon Valley is perpetrating it. And she does it both through explaining the sort of structural forces at play. She talks about real estate. She talks about, you know, she very succinctly describes the way companies growing and getting bigger ultimately leads to, you know, more homelessness or whatever it is. But then she also describes these really specific situations, which are utterly heartbreaking, like early employees at startups who cannot afford to buy their own stock options and therefore... Women, mostly. Mostly women who have families to support, who don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy their stock options that have vested after they've worked there many years, and then do not get these huge windfalls when those companies either IPO or are acquired, which just absolutely... like is crushing to think about that you have to buy these options. I mean, yeah, it's really, really depressing. The other thing that I really loved 
where she talks about the homogeneity of it all. Yeah, um, yep, yep. She says Silicon Valley might have promoted a style of individualism, but scale bred homogeneity. And she talks about all of these venture funded online only direct to consumer retailers. And she does it in an equally sort of eloquent way as the other passages that you read. Um, and in a way where you immediately recognize everything from Allbards to Warby Parker to Everlane. Um, and it's something that we're all really familiar with and it's really depressing. And one of the things that she if brings- If you've seen a Subway ad, you've seen all the Subway ads. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. And what she brings into focus is that these brands, some of which actually started out as really interesting, yeah. become diluted and become no longer interesting because by virtue of the very structures that funded them, they have to be everywhere. And then they're no longer interesting because they are everywhere. And well, they have to speak to everyone. Exactly. And they're funded by these venture companies that force them to scale. And once they scale, it's not interesting anymore. And by the way, there aren't really other ways to fund your business unless you have family money. And so you can't- You even- and I have this, this drum, I will never get tired of beating. The fact that if you want to start a business and you don't have access to personal capital or capital through friends and family, then- we don't live in an age where you can get a bank loan. And, you know, if anybody's followed any of the PPP and SBA stuff over the last couple of months, that does not give you uh, confidence in the support of small businesses in this country. And and that's why all we have is all birds and outdoor voices, which some it, so often some of these brands come up and I'm like, oh, I'm excited about this. I'm really interested in this. And then a year or two later, should they be successful? I'm so bored of it because I've had to stare at it so much because they have to grow and grow and grow and grow. And because they have to grow and grow and grow and grow, they have to put the smaller, more interesting brands out of business because they drive up the price of all of the the digital advertising and they have to take up all of the air in the room. And so we don't get to have small, interesting businesses because we don't have other ways of funding those businesses. Yeah. It's just a really vicious cycle. And I think we're seeing it, especially now, how it's playing out. Yeah, 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 yeah. It also brought to mind two interesting articles that I read earlier that sort of build on each other. One is by Venkatesh Rao and it's on his blog. And the other one is um, in the Atlantic by the wonderful writer, Amanda Mole. And it basically riffs on this idea of premium mediocre, which Amanda Mole calls premiocre, which is just this idea of all of this like really honestly, like run-of-the-mill, basic, middle-of-the-market stuff that has had a little bit of polish put on it to make it feel premium, but that ultimately is not so different than the standard thing that existed before. And that it's something that feels so apparent as soon as you hear it because it's everywhere now. And it is, again, one of these things that is facilitated by the It's pervasive. The other thing that I feel like we would be remiss to leave out that is a major thread throughout the book is her slow realization of the security concerns that are at the heart of so much of what she is doing ultimately, um, both when it comes to surveillance and when it comes to hate crimes and language and, um, and abuse, online abuse. And I think her realization that she cannot avoid participating in it, but she feels like she's removed from it because she's not writing the code. She's not, right. she's not creating the thing. She's not building the product. But she's complicit in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that is, Thomas read the book at the uh, right before I did. And he was saying that he, one of his big takeaways was that Ed Snowden is alluded to mm-hmm. um, 
as the NSA whistleblower. Of course, his name is not said because that is a proper noun. But his impact seems to be so minimal on the Silicon Valley, like spaces and people that she's interacting with. Um, And that was sort of like jarring and surprising to see um, that all of this was going down. And it was kind of like, meh, irrelevant. (laughs) Yep, yep. Something something I wanted to share is that this movie has been optioned. Thrilling. Um, thrilling. It's been optioned by Mike DeLuca, who did Fifty Shades, and Elizabeth Banks, who did Pitch Perfect, and among other things. So can't wait. Can't Two wait. Two great and not so great movies at the same time. Well, I have nothing bad to say about Pitch Perfect. And I have some bad things to say about Fifty Shades, but also some great things to say about it. So yeah, wow. You really, it's like really like the left and the right of the circle <laughs> coming back together for you with Fifty Shades. So bad, so good. Um, Elizabeth Banks options so many good books. She really does. I don't know. When I was reading it, I was kind of thinking of of the way this comes together as almost a spinoff of the HBO show Silicon Valley. But mm-hmm. as told by Monica when she was like just coming to Silicon Valley mm-hmm. before she got sucked into the VC system and, you know, became the person that she was. Right. Um, when she still had the chance of being disillusioned by it. Anyway. Well, I can't wait. Let's hope it hits the big screen. Yes. If you want to want a taste of this before diving in, the New Yorker article we were link we will link to. It is called Four Years in Startups. And this also actually started as an N plus one article from like 2016, I think. Um, that's what got her the book deal in the first place, which we will also link to. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at clarinerica.com. Find show notes and coupon codes and so much more at clarinerica.com. <laughs> <laughs>